Well, good morning, everyone. And to those of you that are watching from Nickel Hall, good morning. And if you're listening online, uh, so glad you could be with us. We're going to continue our series today on Flourish. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 2 today. I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 as an introduction. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So you go to a party, and if it's a party where you don't know everybody, uh, chances are at some point in that party, somebody's going to come up to you, and as you exchange greetings, they're going to ask you, what do you do? One of the best answers is to be able to say, well, I'm a doctor. That's a good one. Or I'm a teacher. That gains some respect. Uh, better if you're a principal. Um, nice if you can say, I'm a, I'm a business owner. Um, Carpenter, electrician, plumber, those are all good. Even retired is good. But the label you don't want is unemployed. You say unemployed and you get these sort of weird reactions from people like, ah, uh, withdrawal even. It's like the 21st century leprosy, you know, is it contagious? Um, Are you all right? Is there something wrong with you? And, you know, it's almost like you can hear people go, psst, unemployed. Guys, and I'm played over there. Um, it's not something you want. And if you've ever lost your job or if you've been in transition, like you've finished your schooling and you're not sure what you're going to do next, you've had, so you have this state of being unemployed, you know what that feels like. The worst kind of unemployment is when you really want to work, but you can't because you've had a physical accident or something's going on emotionally that you are unable to work. I've had a couple of times in my life when I haven't been able to work, and it's hard. It's difficult. Uh, Within a couple of weeks, you can begin to lose your self-confidence. It's easy to slip into depression, to hopelessness, start to have tension in your relationships. You start to look more negatively at the world and what's going on. There can be shame. Sometimes you get into substance abuse and and, um, destructive behavior. It's the opposite of flourishing. And this morning, the good news to us is that while this doesn't necessarily apply to a job you're going to get paid for, God has a job for you. He has work for you to do. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. From God's perspective, job or not, you weren't meant to be unemployed. You were created for good works, and when you do them, you will flourish. I think intuitively we know that it's, it's good for people to do good, regardless of religious pers- persuasion. People should be doing good. We should somehow be taking care of the needy. We should be looking after one another. We should be serving one another. Um, we know it intuitively. We see it on the news. You know, there'll be a news story where they're applauding somebody, uh, highlighting a person because they have done good. But here's the critical part from the Bible's perspectives. Your good works need to happen from a right foundation. There is an order of understanding when it comes to our good works that must be absolutely in place for us to do them right. In much religious faith outside of Christianity, the works that people do is a necessity to be in a right relationship with God. Good works can be the way of earning a right place with God. And sometimes the question is often, have I done enough? 
Have I done enough? Even Christians sometimes, as I have conversations and read between the lines, the question they're asking is, have I done enough? As you get older in life and you begin to realize that the hours that you have left are maybe not that many, and you wonder, am am I going to be okay with God? In the back of your mind, have I done enough? Well, let me settle the question for you today. The answer is never. You will never do enough. You cannot do enough. You never could, you never will. And yet I can't wait to talk this morning about the good works that God has for us to do. How is that? Well, we're going to follow Paul's sequence to what he talks about in order to get to Ephesians 2, verse 10. Spoiler alert, God's done enough for you. Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Okay, that, that is not the most flattering picture. But if you are a Christian this morning, that is a picture of your past. So this weekend, we had the opportunity to roast, toast uh, an amazing friend of mine. And it included uh, a journey through the past. And so they showed pictures of of the the days of big hair and uh, nice little fuzzies, big fuzzies on the lip, uh, ugly, baggy clothes. I mean, what were we thinking back then, right? Back then, it, it, it seemed okay. It seemed right. But we look at it now and we go, oh, so glad that we have changed. You may not have thought it was so bad at the time, but before you came into a right relationship with God, what we read here in Ephesians 2, 1 to 3 is how it really was. You were dead in trespasses and sins, That is, you're breaking God's law, not occasionally. You walked in them. This is the way you lived. And Scripture paints two sides in the cosmic world, good against evil, light against darkness. When you are not a Christ follower, you were on the opposite side. You were following the ways of the world, and you you were being influenced by the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is now at work in the sons of disobedience. This is true of every person, all of us, used to walk this way. There is no discrimination. We were full participants in living contrary to God's way. Our motivations were involved, the passions of our heart. Our bodies were involved. They were full uh, participants in what was going on as we carried out their desires. And our mind, we, we thought in ways that were contrary to how God thinks. We were full participants in a rebellion against God. We were by nature that way. It's like we were dis- had a disability. We could not walk in the way that pleases God. We could not do the works that could possibly please God. And it was a life deserving of separation from him, death, a life deserving of his judgment. We were objects of wrath. Now, this diagnosis is probably worse than we may have thought, but this is true of all mankind. Paul says the rest of mankind. 
Now today you might be here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and in some ways I was thinking what you've just heard would be like reading a company's internal email that nobody else was supposed to see when they are just really blunt about the way that things are. Except scripture doesn't hide things. It, it freely holds them out in the open. There's no pretense. There's no cover-up. Well-intentioned people sometimes may want to cover up verses like this in the name of love, but God's apostles never did. The most loving thing they could do was to tell the truth. Like a doctor who says to a patient, you have cancer and you are going to die from it. But there's a cure. See, that's not the end of the story. There's hope. There's remedy. And that's what we come to next and what Paul has written here. Verse 4, but God. What, what Paul is about to unpack is that a further piece of, the, of what we call the gospel. It means good news. And now it truly is good news. It's an announcement. It's a proclama proclamation. The gospel, good news, is simply a proclamation. It's like a headline in the news. There's nothing for you to do here. It's all about what God has done. Hear the news. He's done something. He's made a remedy. And it has nothing to do with us. It's all about God. Listen to this. But God, being rich in mercy, this is who God is. He's rich in mercy. He's loaded in mercy. And mercy is, to have mercy is to absorb the infraction of, of something. It's to, to take the cost upon yourself. So you think of all the things that Paul has itemized about how we were living, walking in the ways of the world, being influenced against God, thinking against God. God says, I'll take all of that on me and I'll pay for it. I'll cover that, I'll cover that, I'll cover that, I'll pay the cost of that, I'll absorb that. He is rich in mercy. So all of the activities of our body, the mind, the motivations, God has paid for because of the great love with which he loved us. Verse 5. Even when we were dead, we had no relationship to his life. We were cut off, separated from him. We were in opposition. Even when we were dead, he made us alive. See, God doesn't make bad people better. He makes dead people alive. He recreates. We become new creations in Christ, with Christ. There's the word saved in there. The word salvation is a very rich word. We talked about it a bit last week. It has the, the connotation, the idea of wholeness, of, of being made whole, of, of real well-being, really of flourishing. To be saved is to be rescued from something that is not flourishing into God's life of flourishing. So what is going to become abundantly clear as we continue in the scripture that this incredible mercy of God, this amazing salvation only happens through his son, Jesus Christ. It is in Jesus. It is with Jesus. It is because of Jesus. It is through Jesus. It is through the work of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection that saves us. It is his work, not our own. It is a grace that is an unmerited gift because of God's love. 
And all you have to do is believe this announcement. Believe it and trust in it and receive it. Have you put your faith in him? Verse 5, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Earlier in Ephesians, he's talked about how Jesus has been given a name above every name, higher than any authority, any place. And because we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we receive what he has for us. It's like we're united with him so that what's true of him becomes true of us. We are seated with him somehow in the heavenly places, in that place of authority, in that place of victory that we sang about this morning. We are there with Jesus. Verse 7, I love it. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Some of you might remember the show Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Anybody watch it? You don't have to admit it. Um, it, it went from like 2003 to 2012. Uh, the, the premise of the show, hosted by Ty Pennington, the premise of the show was they would identify families that were sort of down and out. They were really good families, but they were down and out. They, they'd experience some kind of tragedy or crisis, and so they're financially sort of desperate. They're, they need hope in their life, and usually their living conditions are extremely bad. And so the show would identify these people. Uh, they'd interview them, count them worthy of it. And then the, what would happen with the show is Ty Pennington would bring his construction team and a whole whack of volunteers, often a lot of neighbors, a contractor in the area. And they would send the family away, maybe to Disneyland or some nice place like that, send them away for a week, and then they're going to go to town on their house. Sometimes they completely de demolish the house, and they start from scratch, and they're going to build something new and beautiful in one week. And of course, as the week comes to an end, and they've had all this drama, of course, that's what you need on TV, to get it done on time. Uh, at the end of the week, and the family's brought back, that they're brought in a limousine or something like that, and there's a big bus in front of the new house. So the, where they're pulled up, they're brought on the other side of the bus, so they can't see the house yet. Okay, and then you know what I'm talking about, right? A lot of you. Okay, and so the family gets out of the car, and they can't see the, the house because of the bus, and what does everybody say? Oh, come on. <laughs> Come on. Okay, if you didn't know, you know what the words are now, but I think we can do way better than that. Okay, imagine the excitement, the buildup. First time they're going to see this, and everybody says? Oh, yeah, I think the bus driver would have it going now. And what happens? The camera zooms in on the family. Tears are flowing. I mean, they can't believe it. And if you had a camera on my family in the living room, man, I lost it again. The tears are, you know, the tears, and I look around, the family's crying, we look at each other, this happens every week. Why do we do this? Well, I have, being the guy that I am, I have a theological reason. I always have a theological reason for everything. People don't want to hang out with me anymore. He's always talking a theological reason. Here's my reason. It's a picture of the gospel. Rags to riches. They didn't earn it, they didn't pay for anything. Somebody took care of it for them. 
And it's beautiful, and it resonates with our heart. It's a picture of the gospel. The underbelly of that show, however, behind the scenes, wasn't so glitzy or beautiful at times. See, sometimes these families, I mean, they, they weren't well-off families, and they're given this beautiful new home, which results in higher taxes, which results in higher electricity or utility bills sometimes. And the reality is that for some of them, they really struggled and maybe even lost their house. Now, I think this show started to address it later and help you cover their mortgage and things like that. But the reality is they took care of the present, but they could never promise to be with them for the rest of their future. Now, look at what the Scripture says about God and His grace towards us, verse 7, so that in the coming ages, the coming ages, what he's saying is for eternity, for eternity, this is what God has in store for you. He might show the immeasurable riches. You think you've experienced a lot in God now? You think the salvation story is amazing? And it is. For the coming ages, he's going to show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. In June of 2016, uh, my daughter April and I were in Croatia for a week. We were staying in a city called Split. Split is right on the water. It has some beautiful boardwalks on the Mediterranean Sea there. And uh, we were there having a coffee in this beautiful place we found right on the boardwalk. So the, the waters are just outside of us. And as we're having coffee, all of a sudden, uh, we were playing cards, cards with each other. And so we weren't really paying attention to what was going on outside of us. But all of a sudden, we realized this 65-meter yacht was pulling in to, to, uh, to come to shore right in front of our faces. It was amazing. Uh, we do have a picture of the upper deck. I don't know if we can show that. Upper deck, upper deck. There we go. Um, didn't turn out, I guess that picture didn't turn out that great. Uh, that's after the owner invited April and I up for coffee. No, that didn't happen. That was, that was wishful thinking. The boat was called Lady M. And it's, a, it's worth about $55 million. It's, it's sleek, it's beautiful, has a helicopter pad. Um, I mean, it's worth more than a house in Vancouver. It's owned by a Russian. His name is Alexei Mordashov. He's a former CEO of a Russian steel company. He's extremely rich. His estimated net worth is $17.5 billion. So translated from Russian to English, that's a lot of money. But here's the thing, you can still count his net worth. He can still count it. It's not immeasurable, he can still count his money. A billion, they say, is about 10 mid-sized SUVs filled with $100. So that's a billion. So if you could go buy 10 SUVs mid-sized and just take stacks and stacks of $100 bills and fill each one up to the brim, that would be a billion. So Mordashov would have 170 of them. That's, that's how much he'd have. But you can count it. And we can count what money people have. We can rank from the richest in the world down to it. Mordashov is number 51 in the world. Bill Gates is number one at 60, 86 billion. But we can still count his money. And if, if somebody had a trillion, we could still count their money. What am I getting at? 
Think about what it means for something to be immeasurable, that you can't count it, that you, you can't get to the bottom of it, you can't exhaust it. That is the riches of God's grace in the ages to come towards you. Towards you. God didn't just save you so you can hang on to a mediocre existence. You can't imagine what he has in store for you into eternity as you walk into what is ahead today. In the Extreme Makeover, uh, makeover Show, every family is just filled with gratitude. There's no hint of entitlement whatsoever. They know the predicament they were in, and they know they have gone from rags to riches. And how about us? From death to life. A miracle. You are a miracle, Christ follower, saved by grace, leading to an eternity where God's going to show you the riches of his grace forever in his kindness. How do we respond to that? Well, it leads us to good works. Paul instructed Timothy to to regularly do the public reading of scriptures. So I'm just going to read to you this morning four passages of scriptures that reinforce the idea of good works coming out of what God has done for us. We're going to start in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. See, good works are anything that is pleasing to God. So even as some of the things we talked about in the summer, sexual purity, loving our spouse, not, not being overcome with anger, even loving and forgiving our enemies, all these things, whatever pleases God, are good works. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 for the grace of God has appeared. What does the grace of God teach us? Bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. One more. Titus chapter 3, verse 7. So that being justified by his grace, that's what we've talked about this morning, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Work to earn? False. But equally false? 
There's no work to do. God does not want you to be unemployed. Your works don't get you saved. You work because you are saved. So aware of the past, aware of the work that God has done for us because of his son, Jesus Christ, and through his son, Jesus Christ, because we understand then who we are, what our identity is, then we work. Our youth leaders retreat last weekend, um, Jesse and Dave talked about the gospel arrow. It's adapted from some of Jeff Vanderstelt's work. It starts with understanding God, knowing God, his being, then seeing and understanding, knowing what he's done, and then our being, knowing who we are, identity, then what we do. Those things need to be held in proper order. Verse 10, Ephesians 2, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You're God's creation. That word could have overtones of like a poem or a, or a masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. He delights in you. He made you. And so what God makes, he looks at it and he says, this is good. He, he enjoys you. He purposely made you the, the way you are. And he's been preparing ahead of time. Meaningful employment. Purpose. Good works for you to do. I'm going to invite Patrice up now. We're going to hear a little bit more of his story this morning. Patrice, come on up. As we were meeting for coffee yesterday, I thought, this man's story is so much a reflection of what we're looking at this morning. Patrice, tell us what you told me yesterday. Let us hear a bit about the story of your life and where God's brought you to. Well, thank you for giving me this opportunity to, to share my story. Well, uh, you know, I am, uh, um, I'm born uh, in a small family in uh, Benin. My father, uh, his name is uh, Lavagnon Kusiadri, and he was a, a priest, a high priest of voodoo. Uh, he uh, was so famous, known by people, because... Uh, um, Anybody who would have any spiritual problem would uh, run to my father because he was uh, um, uh, he inherited his uh, father's uh, voodoo. You know, voodoo is the worship of uh, 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 demons, idols, uh, and my father he he was selected, like chosen by those demons to become their priest, and that's what he uh, did. And I was born. Uh, in uh, the environment of worshiping voodoo. So, uh, well, I was called, uh, we, his children, we were called the uh, voodoo children. And, you know, we were voodoo ourselves. You know, the, the ground on which we, we, we walk is voodoo. The trees are voodoo. Everything is voodoo. The culture is voodoo. So we, uh, we all, all we knew was uh, voodoo. Um, but, you know, uh, some things happened in my life, and well, I have got the opportunity to understand them later on. Uh, when I was uh, in my last year in primary school, um, the time came where we were to uh, choose the, sec the secondary school that we would attend after we finished the 
primary school. And that very time where we were to fill in the forms, I, was, I got very sick and I couldn't go to school. And one of my friends, he was my, actually my best friend in the school, he took the, uh, the, the opportunity, he wanted to fill in the form for me. So he, um, he wrote, he chose a, a school uh, which is called Atome. And Atome is a place where nobody wanted to go to. Um, nobody wanted to go to that place, uh, but my friend. Yeah, he's my friend. And he, he wrote Atome for me. And well, all my classmates were really shocked. And they informed me, and I, said, I called my friend, I said, but why did you do that? He said, well, Patrice, I don't know. I just felt like writing Atome for you. But uh, I'm pretty sure they will not send you there. Uh, but of course, you know, after everything was done, I was sent to Atome because nobody wanted to go there, and it is written on my document. So I was sent there, and I, I tried to, 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 to uh, do everything to avoid, but it was impossible. So I had to go to Atome. Atome is a, a bit far from my hometown, and it is about 40 kilometers it was very difficult for me because at that time I was 13 and being away from my family was very difficult for me. But, you know, I, I had to go to school in Atome and uh, in my very first year in secondary school, uh, I met a man, a classmate, his name is Leon Yeto. And Leon, um, he, he was different. Uh, he, his behavior was totally different. He would not say bad things. He would not do bad things. Uh, he, he, would, he was clean and kind of perfect. Uh, so uh, I was really touched. And I asked him, Leo, why are you so different? You don't, you don't say things we say. You don't do things that we do. And he said, Patrice, you know what? I'm a Christian. That's why I cannot behave the way you behave. I'm a Christian. And I said, what, what does that mean, a Christian? And he explained to me what Jesus has done for, for us and for, for him and how he became a Christian. And I said, oh, you know what? I want to be a Christian too. And he introduced me to Christ. And I understood that day what Jesus has done for, for me. And I accepted Jesus into my life. My life totally changed. You know, when I was worshiping voodoo, it, I was living in a constant fear. Voodoo world is a world of fear, spiritual terrorism, because you always think people are going to kill you. People are going to place a curse on you. But when I accepted Jesus, my life changed. I no more feared witchcraft. I no more feared the evil that people would do to me because I know Jesus has paid of his life for all the wrongs that I have done. And when I came back home, I, I shared the good news with my brothers and sisters. And they, some of them decided to go to church. And we started going to church. But we were concerned about our father because he was a, 
a famous priest of voodoo. But when he heard the news, he said, you know what? If that's what you want to do, that's your choice. I'm not going to stop you doing that. Go, go ahead and go to church. It was amazing. So we, we, we were able to serve Jesus. We were going to church until he, he decided one day, to, he told all the other children, you'd better f- go to church with Patrice. Because I think that's, that's, that's even better. Because just go to church and leave me alone with my voodoo. But still, some, some of my sisters and brothers would not go. But, you know, one day my father decided to go to church. He said, Patrice, you know what? I've served the evil one all my life. And I have gained nothing but evil. And today, I want to serve Jesus and Jesus alone. And my father became a Christian. And that was amazing. But you know, uh, Atome was a place that where nobody wanted to go because there was lack of water in Atome. No water there. So in Atome, you, you don't dare washing your body before going to school. There's no water to even drink. It is difficult to find water. So people would not want to go there. But I had to go there. Later on, I, I, I understand what God has planned for me. Because, you know, after many years, I came to work for GAIN. And what GAIN is doing is to provide people with clean water and to introduce them to Jesus Christ. Now I understand why God has made me experience all those things in my life. And today what I do is I help people to find clean water and I introduce them to to Jesus Christ. And that's all I want to do today. To serve Jesus, helping others to meet their spiritual need, their physical need first, and then their spiritual one. And that's why I'm really happy to be here with you, brothers and sisters, to share these good works that you've been helping us to do. Because without your help, we would never be able to help those people who are lost in Benin. Up to today, we still have many villages where there's no clean water and people are still following voodoo, demons. So with your help, we're going to do more. And many people are going to be saved by the grace of God. Thank you very much. May God bless you. Thank you. Amazing. God was preparing Patrice. God prepares us. You might even be here this morning. You don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's been working in your life. He has his eye on you. He's been been preparing you for the good works that he has ahead for you. This morning, let me just finish by saying um, there are ways as we follow Jesus that we can more fully enter into his good work. 
We don't have time to go through them all this morning. I'm just going to list them, and you'll have to go online on Facebook um, to catch up on them. We'll post them there. But let me just list them. Be, be thankful. Follow God's design. Avoid comparison. You're unique. Don't expect perfection. Say no sometimes so you can do what you're called to do, not what everybody else wants you to do, but not always. Sometimes it's good for us just to serve because there's a huge need in our community. Do something. Do something. Don't let past hindrances keep you from entering in today. What is most tragic is that we do nothing because we don't care or because we're fearful or because we've been hurt in the past and we're scared to enter into God's work for us today. Do good with others. We talk about being mobilized in community here at Central Heights. And lastly, expect God who's prepared you for good works, designed you for good works, to work through you. And as you do, you will experience the flourishing, the purpose, the meaning, the flourishing that he's called you into by his grace. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your amazing love for us. Thank you that you are rich in mercy. Thank you that your, your grace towards us, Lord, has been rich, is rich, and will be rich forever. Thank you, Lord. You've got our past covered. You've got our present covered. You've got our future covered. And Lord, I thank you that out of your grace, you have meaningful work that is suited to how you've wired and created each one of us in our uniqueness. God, we want our gifts, we want our very being to bring back glory and honor and worship to you. To God be the glory in Christ's name. Amen.